Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, and welcome to the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. I'm your host, Annika. I'm hosting this podcast because I want to learn everything that I possibly can about the sailing lifestyle, specifically about becoming a liveaboard cruiser. I do this by talking to liveaboard sailors as well as industry experts and find out all the essentials about boat shopping and selection, the costs of full-time sailing, and exactly how people made their dream a reality. Join me and you will get real-life advice, practical tips, and maybe you'll even avoid making some costly mistakes. After listening to these truly inspirational and hugely entertaining stories, you and I will be better prepared to start our sailing adventures. Okay, so this week we continue with the industry expert interviews and I have the pleasure to talk with Sarah White, who is an absolute expert in all things boat survey related. She is, of course, a surveyor herself, and she also has a master's degree in marine surveying. She's a qualified marine service technician and has a very long list of other professional certifications she's received over her 25-year career in the marine industry. I wanted to talk to Sarah to learn more about boat surveys, specifically pre-purchase surveys, as they are such a key part of the boat shopping process. I had a lot to learn about this topic, so I'm glad Sarah had the time to chat with me. My goal with today's podcast is to sort of better understand surveys, their role in the purchasing process, as well as the kind of work surveyors do. So. To get it started, can you explain a little bit of the different kinds of surveys that exist and and maybe what are the ones that the the potential boat buyer would need? Sure. So there's various categories. There's uh, general surveys and there's specialized surveys. So a general survey would include purchase surveys, condition and valuation surveys. And what they do is they look at the holistic 
picture of the boat. Okay. And then you have specialized surveys that look at specific areas. And those would include sort of engine mechanical surveys, electrical surveys, corrosion surveys, rigging surveys. So uh, say for a purchase survey, you may want to have a mechanical survey conducted and a general survey conducted if you're buying a powerboat. And if you're buying a sailboat, you may want to do general survey, a mechanical survey and a rigging survey. It really depends on the age and the condition of the vessel. So one of my questions is I've seen there is sort of um, uh, insurance surveys specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a difference between a pre-purchase survey and an insurance survey or can I... At the beginning, when you're buying a boat, can I use the pre-purchase survey with the insurance company or is that something entirely different? So pre-purchase surveys and condition and valuation surveys, otherwise known as insurance surveys, the survey really goes through the same process on the boat. There is no difference. I mean, both parties want to know what the condition of the boat is. The difference is in the written report, how the information is displayed in the written report. And you may find that a purchase survey may have more content in as much as it will tell you a lot more about parts of the boat, such as what all the deck equipment is or, you know, what all the parts of the rigging are. Whereas in a condition and valuation survey, it just may, may be quite general. You know, the rig is a sloop uh, with, you know, two sails or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So essentially, a pre-purchase one is maybe a little more detailed and that hopefully it's fine for the survey or for, sorry, for the insurance. And I guess the, the point of uh, what you say, like an insurance survey would be if you're renewing insurance uh, some years after or changing insurance agents and such, I take it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and that will depend on the insurer and the underwriter as well. You know, what, what information they want and when they want it. If you're changing insurance companies, they may want a new survey for sure. Yeah. And insurance uh, service, do they always include a haul out as well? Like it's to that level or is that more superficial? Uh, insurance surveys uh, will depend on what the insurer or the underwriter want and the age of the vessel often. So sometimes they'll just accept an in-water survey and sometimes they'll want the boat hauled out so they can inspect the underside. I mean, they're, they're looking to uh, assess the risk of what it is that they're insuring. So when I'm looking at boats, and I think I have found the one, and I want to move forward with the, the purchase process. So at what point do I get a surveyor involved? And uh, I follow up to that. And how long are the, the sort of wait time with surveyors? Do I need to book them in weeks in advance? Or uh, how does that work? So um, when you're purchasing a boat, if you're going through a broker, uh, you will uh, find a boat, you'll make a deal on the boat, and then purchase will be subject to survey. And that's when you will call in a surveyor and the surveyor will inspect the boat and then give you the report of the findings. Uh, wait times for surveyors will really depend on where you are, um, the time of year, and uh and that and, and that's 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 pretty well it uh a lot of us certainly here in bc are booking maybe a month in advance at the moment because it's it's a busy time of year yeah i was gonna ask whether spring or sort of coming to the summer season is the busiest time that sounds like it, it may be yeah. <laughs> very well that well, let's talk about the uh, pre-purchase survey uh, from the point of view from somebody who's buying a sailboat, uh, because I have a lot of questions about that. <laughs> so first, what is actually involved in the survey and, and how long does it usually take? 
Okay, so a pre-purchase survey will be done in the water and out of the water. And we will look at every aspect of the boat, the structure we're looking, uh, and that would include hull, decks, if it's a sailboat, keels, uh, pretty well, pretty well anything that we can, we can tap or look at. Uh, as far as the truck structure is concerned, we'll have a look at the underwater gear. Uh, we'll have a look at uh, uh, all the equipment on board and how well it runs. So basically, we we scour the boat is what we do. Um, how long does it take? Uh, it will depend on the size of boat. Uh, I, I thought about this question a lot recently, and it seems to me that it takes between one to two hours per about every 10 feet, you know, so a 30 foot boat uh, will actually take about four and a half hours to survey. A 40 foot boat will take about maybe seven hours to survey. And that will depend, you know, the extra hour either side of that will depend on how complicated the boat is, or if there are a lot of findings. Okay. And I understand there's a sort of separate, uh, what's it called, like mechanical uh, survey or engine survey. So is that Basically, does that mean that surveyors don't typically look at the engine in much detail? Um, well, most surveyors are not mechanics. Um, you know, there are an awful lot of engines out there uh, and an awful lot of training that goes into uh, knowing about engines. And so mechanics are typically called on board to do mechanical surveys because they have much better in-depth knowledge. Um, as a general surveyor, we don't have the time to do an engine survey. A proper engine survey is going to take you about five hours, depending on the depending on the boat uh, and the size of the boat. But on average, about five hours. So, um, you know, that's a that's a that's a big chunk of time to put on to. And and we're professional surveyors; we're not mechanics. So having a mechanic look at the boat is is certainly better than having the surveyor look at the boat. And uh, a surveyor will look at the exterior of the engine. They may even start it up depending on the boat uh, and depending on the type of survey that they're doing, but they're not looking at a mechanic. Look at, they're not looking at doing a mechanical. Right. What about sails or batteries? Are they part of the um, inspection as well or the survey or no? Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, batteries will, uh, we certainly inspect batteries. And when I say we inspect batteries, what we'll do is we'll take a, a, a voltage reading on the batteries, put a load on them and then uh, and then check them. And if they're flooded batteries, we might um, remove the caps and have a look inside to see, you know, uh, the uh, the level of the electrolyte. Um, we also may use a hydrometer and check for weakness. It just depends on the type of battery. Um, typically, we don't use load testers. We don't have time to use those testers. Um, but if you're getting mechanical done, the mechanic will certainly do that. Sales, sales are something that uh, most clients will take a good look at when they go out on their sea trial. Um, for us to inspect sails, we'd have to remove the sails, take them down, have a look at the stitching. So that's really a sailmaker's job. Exactly. But surveyors do go on the sea trial, though, do they? If they're asked, absolutely. Yeah, it's not a foregone conclusion. And uh, uh, another, uh, perhaps a little bit of a silly question, uh, but who is actually present at the when the survey takes place? And is the potential uh, or ask the potential buyer, should I be there? Can I be there? Well, uh, as as surveyors, we have to concentrate uh, on what we're doing, um, and we have to jump about the boat and turn things on and turn things off, and and uh, and sometimes 
we like things just so, so that our test results are not uh, <laughs> are not affected in any way. Um, and if there are other people on the boat, it can make concentrating or carrying out some of our tests quite hard. So our preference as surveyors is to be allowed to get on with the job. I suppose we could liken it to most people having somebody watch over them or, you know, uh, 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 ask them questions constantly while they're working. It's very difficult to concentrate. But on the other side, on the other side of things, we don't dissuade people from being there if they would like to be there. But you know, as long as there's a general understanding that we've got a job to do, and uh, and if they want good results, they've really got to let us get on with with the job. Yeah. Is there anything that the potential buyer, or perhaps this is for the seller, that they can prepare um, and then sort of better help the surveyor? To do their job apart from staying out of the way and, and hauling the boat out. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with a purchase survey, um, having a clean boat is a really, really great thing to have. Um, as surveyors, we, we are not biased when we jump on a boat. We're looking for facts. We're looking for information which uh, would either be non-compliant, findings that are non-compliant or something that may affect the vessel's fitness for purpose, or even just general things such as, you know, uh, bedding compounds, which are, uh, which are a little questionable, etc. Um, so, yes, yeah, so uh, if the boat is clean, we're going to, uh, we're, we're just going to get on board with a better state of mind. And you feel better getting off a boat when you're not filthy when you get off as well. So, Having a clean boat is a really great thing. And I would say that with condition and valuation surveys as well. It just gives us a better perspective of the boat. Organize your boat. Uh, make sure that uh, uh, you don't have uh, lots of personal equipment lying around that could uh, prevent us from getting into the areas of the boat that we need to see. And whether it's a condition and valuation survey or whether it's a purchase survey, we are going to need to access the whole boat. Yeah. So if you have a lot of gear, then uh, try and find a way to either remove it so it's not going to be in the surveyor's way or at least pilot in a, in a manner that he can get to wherever he needs to get to. Yeah, exactly. And I imagine if, if the purchaser is aware of certain sort of um, common problems with that boat type that they should let uh, the surveyors know in, in advance, like I know this boat typically has uh, issues with xyz based on whatever people on the owner's forum say or or something like that or is that sort of irrelevant like you'll just go into it yeah i mean by all means if you have some concerns about the boat uh something that you've read uh by all means mention that to the surveyor not all boats are alike and you know it's rare that we see constant patterns uh with particular models um, I've I've uh, commissioned uh, brand new power and sailboats, and I can say maybe one or two models may have shared the same problem, um, but it was rare that the whole fleet, you know, shared the same problem. So, uh, you, you know, that's it, 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 it's rare. But if there's something that does concern you, if there's something that you've read, by all means, share that with the surveyor and definitely the broker, uh, if you're using a broker. Um, so that uh, um, attention can be paid to that. But I would also expect the surveyor to uh, cover any concerns if they were good at what they were doing, yeah. Well, one thing that I'm wondering about is whether surveyors will sort of look at boats differently based on their age. If they're looking at a 
you know, newer than a 10 year old boat versus older than a, you know, 25 years. Is there certain areas that you'll spend more time and attention when it's an older boat versus a newer boat? Not really. I mean, we have a process of going through the boat and that process, you know, uh, will depend on, on, on the surveyor and how they work. Um, but it's a, a mirrored process on every boat that we look at. So, and we can't predetermine what we're going to find. So we're looking for facts and we're looking high and we're looking low and we're searching the boat as we're going through it. Now, just because the boat is perhaps 10 years old doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to have any more or any less deficiencies than a boat that's, say, one year old. On the other hand, uh, I think that uh, it's fairly common because you're dealing with a vast uh, uh, amount of uh, owners who don't do everything the same and don't maintain a boat in the same way, that you are going to find more things on an own older boat than you are uh, a newer boat. Uh, but it, but it's, it's not a foregone conclusion. Well, one thing I'm actually curious about is uh, how do you actually survey the boats? Uh, do you just use your eyes and, and the feel or do you use specialized tools? I've sometimes seen in a line uh, or on the videos, sort of like a hammer looking thing, it's just knocking on the hull. But uh, uh, what, what kind of tools do you use? Yeah, we use uh, we use um, tapping instruments, um, uh, and they come in various shapes and sizes depending on the surveyor. And uh, when we're we're percussion sounding is what we're doing. We're listening for certain tones um, to, and and certain tones will uh, uh, tell us if uh, there's possible delamination um, or if there's moisture. Um, we can tell from tones. Now it's an indicator. It's not an exact science. So if we find something like that, we may follow it up with further equipment such as moisture meters or ultrasound. Other equipment that we would use, uh, we'll use uh, multimeters, uh, circuit testers, uh, infrared. Uh, those tend to be um, sometimes boroscopes. Those tend to be the most common equipment used by uh, marine surveyors. And then of course, measuring equipment. Yeah, exactly. That's actually really interesting. Well, another question that I do have is about the cost, which of course depends on the boat. Like you said, it, it might, you know, it depends on whether it's a 35 or, or a 45 foot boat takes a different amount of time. And do I understand it correctly that typically the cost is sort of set out per foot? That tends to be the way most surveyors work. Yeah, is per foot. And the, the, the costs... The costs range really depending on where you are and often the skills and the knowledge of the surveyor as well. For instance, we can see a swing of about uh, $10 per foot. Uh, that's certainly what I've experienced here in the coast of BC. Um, but one of the things that I will mention is the, you know, rather than look at the cost, look at the ability of the surveyor, um, uh, look at the qualifications of the surveyor. Surveyors who are good surveyors are going to be members of accredited organizations and there are fees that they have to pay in order to be members of those accredited organizations. They've got insurance that they've got to cover. Um, so they have expenses and uh, those costs are what uh, add to a surveyor's uh, fee. Uh, and also their experience. Uh, I mean, we have uh, we have surveyors who have some excellent academic qualifications, and uh, you know, and a long lived experience in the field. So you know, they are senior professionals in their roles, and uh, you know, you're you you're going to be paying for their experience. 
So um, you prices uh, will vary, um, but I would suggest that you're certainly looking for, say, on a uh, on a thirty foot boat, you're probably looking for between oh six hundred and eight hundred dollars for a survey on a thirty foot boat, and of course that will go up depending on the depending on the size of the boat. Just just to give you something, you know, as a as a as an area to work with financially. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, and I'm really glad that you mentioned the um, the surveyor aspect as well, because that was one of my questions. Like, how do you know? Or how do you find a good surveyor? For example, if you're purchasing a boat outside of your area, like if you live in BC, but you're purchasing a boat in California and you don't know anybody there. Uh, so it sounds like maybe looking at the qualifications, which I take are either North American or international, uh, looking at the experience and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, the first thing I would say is have a look at the history of your surveyor. He should have a traceable history if he's a good surveyor. Um, make sure he's a member of an accredited organization. These accredited organizations uh, basically vet their surveyors. Um, some surveyors are, uh, uh, or not some surveyors, but all their members will be required to comply with certain requirements be to become a member. And they will have to show that they have a standard of work which is acceptable to the organization. Now, this may uh, mean that their work is peer reviewed, or it may mean that they have to take um, fairly long examinations. And those examinations will ask them about, you know, surveying the rules and regulations that govern our profession. Um, also, the organizations provide training for the surveyor uh, and, uh, and assistance and help for surveyors uh, as well. And that training is monitored and recorded. Uh, so if you're using a surveyor who is an accredited surveyor, then you know that they are going to be current uh, in the areas of which they're working in. Okay. Um, it also protects you as the buyer somewhat. Uh, like I say, you, at least you get some uh, uh, knowledge about the surveyor. You know that he's reached a certain standard, which is acceptable. Uh, and if you have a complaint or if you have a problem with their conduct, you know, then you have somebody that you can approach. Uh, the uh, the organisations will also require the surveyor to be insured, um, which is uh, which is which is pretty important. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I guess I never really thought about that. But if there is uh, such a thing as as uh, accredited surveyor, then there must be those who are not essentially somebody could just say like, oh, I'm I'm a surveyor and and go do that. It's I from what I understand, it's not um, what's the word? It's not like a there's no necessarily oversight uh, in that sense that like, anybody could go and say they're a boat surveyor and do that. But whether you should trust somebody without any qualifications is a whole different story. Yeah, it's it's very, very important that you uh, that you look at the surveyors past and their qualifications. I mean, and, and, you know, be very careful if you see something which is questionable, check it out. Um, we recently uh, uh, were contacted by an organization who uh, claimed to be master surveyors. And when we, when we asked them what that meant, uh, they, they said, oh, well, we just made it up. <laughs> so so uh, be very careful. I mean, like I say, the uh, accredited organizations are certainly something that you can bank on when you're looking for uh, information about a survey. And check the website out. Go to the website. Make sure that the surveyor is actually mentioned on that website because some people do actually advertise that they're accredited and they're not. So go to the uh, check out the accredited 
surveyors web or the, the website of the organization so that you can you can match what uh, is on their their uh, information about themselves uh, the accredited survey uh, organizations which are recognized in North America um, are the International Institute of Marine Surveyors which is otherwise known as IIMS the uh, Society of Accredited Marine Surveyors which is SAMS and the National Association of Marine Surveyors which is NAMS All right thank you that's uh, that's good to know for sure Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out My solution is PlushCare PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, well, let's talk about the survey results or the, the findings, uh, what kind of things, uh, obviously there is a report that is provided uh, within a few days. Um, what kind of things are there? Is it listings of absolutely everything or just sort of problem areas or how does that the report look like? Okay, so everybody's report looks a little different. It's uh, proprietary, of course. Um, so the final report should include the following items. It should include a summary Uh, a condition statement of the boat, uh, valuation, scope, the main findings, and the main findings should be everything the surveyor sees, okay? Not, not something that he thinks is not important, but everything that the surveyor sees. He might make comments or he will make comments on things that are important. Um, and I can talk a little bit about findings in a minute. The survey report will include photographs, pertinent rules and regulations or reference to them, Uh, an appendix if required, um, references used, limitation, uh, signature, and date. Um, so findings. Findings are often grouped in three categories, uh, and they can be uh, term, uh, the, the, the terms used in the survey will depend on the surveyor. So a surveyor may categorize them as A, B, and C findings. Uh, we categorize them as must, strongly recommend, and then just general. So an A finding or a must attend to finding is uh, a finding on the boat which is not compliant with the regulations and rules that govern our profession. A B finding or a strongly advice finding is something that may render the vessel or the part that they're looking at not fit for purpose and it's important for the continual use of the vessel. Or a sea finding, which is a general, uh, just a, a, a general observation, will just be something like, you know, the, the the bedding compound is is no longer intact, as I as I mentioned before, just something reasonably insignificant that the client may wish or wish not to do something about. Yeah, exactly. Well, that makes sense. So they're sort of um, categorized by how critical they are. 
And what I'm interested in is what kind of things could turn up in the survey that might prevent this, the purchase process from going any further. Do you have any examples? Uh, yeah, uh, I do actually. Um, typically, it's something uh, quite important, such as um, um, significant defects in the engine, um, significant issues in the rigging, significant structural issues, uh, keel issues, you know, uh, anything which is a very large ticket item to repair or the, uh, the, the cost of the repair is, is significant. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, the client may have made an agreement in their deal that it's subject to, you know, all the electrical system being in top-notch condition. Um, so uh, that also could be uh, a, a caveat uh, when it comes to purchasing the boat as a consequence of the results of the survey. Yeah, exactly. And and um, if a surveyor finds something that is maybe not critical, you could still buy it, but it will be an expensive repair job. Will they give an, like a rough estimate of the cost or will the purchaser need to figure out how much it will take to fix that particular problem? I ran a service company for 14 years and when I was running the service company, we used to make up estimates and quotes for clients and they changed year by year because prices differ, you know, um, uh, labor rates differ. Uh, as a marine surveyor, um, you don't really have the time to investigate exactly how much something is going to cost. The surveyor may be able to talk to a yard or uh, a repair company anyway that may be able to provide them with some idea. Um, but uh, for an accurate uh, account of cost, you, the boat would need to be um, inspected by somebody who was going to do repairs on the boat. Some surveyors will give you a ballpark figure, depending on how closely related they are to similar repairs. In other words, have they done them before recently? You know, are they aware? Um, but uh, in general, um, it's a bit of a tall order to get a surveyor to quote on repair costs because it's not really their field of expertise. Yeah, and that makes sense. And, and you don't want to tell somebody like, oh, I'll take... 10,000 and then it ends up being 30,000 which is in a whole different story but uh, some sort of uh, information uh, will be useful anyway in the report on whether you can negotiate the price further or whether you should even proceed with the sale and uh, I assume this happens fairly frequently that the sort of the report findings is used as uh, I'm not necessarily a negotiating tactic but kind of. Yeah it is it is used as a negotiating uh, uh, tool and, you know, just going back to the last question, if you have, uh, if you're working with a broker, the broker will help to provide costs of items which are concerning to you on the report, um, which would then be used to negotiate the price a little bit, perhaps. Yeah. No, I'm not a broker. So, you know, I can't give you an exact idea of what brokers, uh, uh, how brokers um, uh, approach survey reports with a client. But just as a general rule from our experience, that's certainly what you can expect yeah well something interesting that i see sometimes on boat listings is um something along the lines like uh, a recent survey uh available on uh, by on request so can i and should i trust the survey that the seller is providing well that that really depends um 
some 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 people who are selling their boat want to prepare their boat for sale and they'll be uh, very thorough about how they do that. And so they may have a surveyor come down and do a survey on their boat so they're aware of what the problems are before they have that they put the boat for purchase. And indeed, they may even make repairs to the boat at, at that point. I think really the answer to the question will depend on the acumen of the person who is purchasing the boat as far as their technical knowledge of marine craft and rules and regulations go. A lot can happen in uh, the time between a survey is done by a seller and the purchase at the time the boat is purchased. So it's, it's, it's really a matter of the purchaser's experience and knowledge of marine craft and how they feel about who they're purchasing the boat from. Um, typically, we would say it is prudent to actually get another survey. Yeah, that's what I would imagine that it would be interesting to see what it says, but I'm not sure that I would necessarily trust it uh, fully, especially if it's been, you know, several months or over six months, uh, and it's not really uh, a recent one anymore. That's right. Yeah. Um, I want to mention something, actually, Annika. I mentioned bedding compound as a general comment. Uh, I do want to say that um, if we find bedding compounds which are not intact, they can be a problem sometimes. So I just want to put a caveat there. Um, it's just sitting on my brain as we're talking. <laughs> and uh, actually, I wanted to backtrack as well a little bit because we were talking about the sort of the time and cost of surveys. Um, and he said the sea trial was sort of it may or may not uh, be with the surveyor. So if it is, uh, if the surveyor does go on the sea trial, is there then typically an hourly rate uh, based on or sort of in addition to the per foot, or is that lumped in together? Because I imagine the sea trial takes uh, you know a couple of hours at least. Yeah, it's 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 often added as a an additional cost. Um, certainly, we add it as an additional cost. Um, you may find a surveyor who's willing to, you know, incorporate it into his fee. It, again, it'll depend on where you are and what the general the general practice is of the surveyors in that area. We certainly add it as an additional cost. And the reason why I say that is that uh, when it's a powerboat purchase, we always suggest that the client have a mechanical survey done. Uh, the mechanic really needs to go out on the sea trial. He needs to have a look at the uh, full RPMs that the boat is getting to. He's looking for all sorts of things. Um, and the sea trial really is for his for his purpose. Most of our tests as general surveyors can be done at the dock. Sailboats, uh, I'm often asked to go out on sea trials for sailboats. Uh, I used to, like I say, I used to commission brand new power and sailboats and uh, and I'm often asked to go out on sea trials with sailboats just because of my knowledge of uh, of, uh, of sailboats. And you know, I'll run through uh, I'll run through uh, sailboat tests, including you know speed, RPM, vibration of shafts. I'll I'll mimic a lot of things that a mechanic might do as well on that boat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I imagine that also depends on the surveyor's uh, experience on on what they'll do when the boat is underway and. Of course, then you'll need ideal conditions for sailing specifically. Uh, so I imagine then if you do a sea trial, it sort of extends the process for the surveyor because uh, it might not happen on the same day anyway. So That's right, yeah. Well, is there anything that I haven't asked yet that I should know about? 
I think uh, I think perhaps what we do when we're looking for findings on a boat, we talked about uh, categories A, B, and C, must-do, strongly recommends, and uh, general findings on a boat. The must-do categories are, or the A findings, are findings which require the boat to improve as far as compliance is concerned. So um, both US and Canada have uh, required regulations for both sail and power boats, for pleasure boats. And uh, if something is in an A or a must-do category, then it's not compliant with those rules and regulations and, uh, and has to be. So those rules and regulations in Canada would be predominantly Transport Canada, TP1332E, which you can find on the internet. Uh, in the States, it's uh, the Code of Federal Re Regulations 33 and 46, and ABYC, which is the American Boating and Yachting Council. ABYC standards are used in Canada and the U.S., so you should be able to find the Code of Federal Regulations and Transport Canada regulations on the website. ABYC, perhaps not so much. There are other rules and regulations that govern our profession, and they're, they're fairly extensive as well, such as environmental practice, uh, the environmental codes. One thing just related to the category, so uh, say the C category, which is the sort of the least uh, severe what kind of, how nitty gritty are you getting there? Is there like things like there's a little nick in the paint uh, or um, something off the table or is that more really focused on structural things or is it cosmetic things as well? We do. We get quite nitty gritty. And the reason being is that you're purchasing a boat, you want to know what uh, uh, the overall look of the boat is. And, you know, we can find a lot of nitty gritty things on the boat um, and they can add up to a lot sometimes. So those nitty-gritty nitty little things such as like gel coat cracks, etc., can also tell us a lot about the boat. You know, if I'm getting gel coat cracks in a certain area, what does that mean? You know, have I got, uh, you know, is the, boat, is the boat twisting or racking in a certain way that it shouldn't be? You know, is it, has it been parked on the dock with the sun shining on the dock, you know? And those can lead to further ramifications as well. So um, our job, as far as we see it, is to give you uh, an accurate picture of what it is you're purchasing, or as accurate as we can be within the, the, the parts of the vessel that are available to us. So we are telling you what we see, and we are identifying what we see to be important or what requires further investigation. And that includes small items on a boat, yeah. All right. Yeah, that, that's good to know. It's, uh, it's really interesting to find out all these things that I have very little knowledge about, but hopefully we'll soon know a lot more about <laughs> in, in practice as well. Well, Sarah, this has been wonderful and very educational. So very much thank you for your time. And I'm sure all these uh, things we've discussed today will be very useful for, for a lot of listeners, uh, myself included. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. good luck with everybody's purchase surveys and condition evaluation surveys. And, uh, you know, enjoy your time on the water. So there we go. I told you this episode would be very educational. I hope you learned a thing or two as well. This was actually the last interview of season one of Liverpool Sailing Podcast. 
Although I do have one more episode for you where I wrap up the season and summarize the key takeaways from each episode. And that, of course, will be coming up next Wednesday. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.